Is it worthwhile watching? Now, oh, that's debatable. Um, I'm going to get into trouble if I give away storylines or anything like that. But it does uh, raise some really interesting questions, doesn't it? 2012, what's it all about? You might have heard about it. It is apparently um, one of the most searched phrases uh, in Google at the moment. Uh, end of the world, 2012. And in actual fact, over these past few weeks, we've started to see other areas which are beginning to raise the question, um, some of them being ridiculed, actually. You know that uh, guy who runs a church over in, in America who said that the world was about to end and then it didn't and he's changed his date and all of that kind of thing. Uh, there's that sort of stuff going on. There's this kind of thing going on. Full of irony, you know, USS John F. Kennedy uh, destroying the White House and all of that sort of thing. But it does raise some questions. One of the interesting things that I find is that that film is apparently based on uh, an ancient Mayan prophecy, as some people would say. And I've done a bit of work on it, and it, it's debatable whether that's actually the case. The uh, Mesoamerican Long Count Calendar, which was the Mayan calendar, ended in its, in its third cycle after 5,125 years. That's December the 21st, 2012. And so a whole load of people have got a hold of that and they've said, well, that means that the world is going to end and the Mayan people have prophesied it 5, 000, over 5,000 years ago. Uh, is that the case? Well, to be honest, is it going to end in 2012? I don't know. But it does raise some other questions. Isn't it interesting that right the way through um, civilization, right the way through history, all of the, pretty much most of, all of the major religions have some sort of idea, some sort of notion that this world cannot go on, cannot carry on in the way that it is. For, for so many different um, philosophies or religions, there's this idea it must end at some point. 500 BC, the Zoro Zoroastrian faith established the idea that there was going to be, after the uh, 10th, 100th winter, I don't know how when that is, but it sounds like something out of Lord of the Rings, doesn't it? The 10th, 100th winter, there was going to be an end and there is going to be judgment. See, that's one of the things that many religions, in fact many philosophies, uh, seem to understand. That there has to be some connection with right and wrong, with morals and ethics, with good and bad, and with judgment to the end of the world. Here we are, 21st century. I suppose for many people, we are increasingly rejecting that notion. The idea of a creator, the idea of uh, a God who begins and ends the world is perhaps not embraced, but at the same time, isn't it fascinating that the idea of the world ending 
is still in our thoughts from the, the cinematography of a film like Armageddon to the fears over global warming. We're still thinking that in some way, in some sense, world and humanity, as we know it, has got to come to an end. We seem to, I would suggest. Is it possible that we have written into our thinking, just sort of permeated into our understanding, it cannot go on like this indefinitely? I would suggest that that is perhaps the case. I would also suggest that one of the things that the Bible describes to us is, um, yes, the idea of a creator, a deity, a creating God, who both begins and ends the world. Let's contrast that with the alternative. The alternative is that we're here by accident. And that somehow... It's going to end, maybe by some kind of accident again. Something like a, a meteorite hitting the planet and, and humanity being wiped out in the way that supposedly other creatures have been wiped out in our history. Those kind of things are, I would say, incredibly dissatisfying. The idea that it might just come to an end as accidentally as it began. The reason I think it's dissatis dis dissatisfying for us is because of the many conversations that we have around a desperate desire for there to be something more. I, I don't know how many times, how many conversations we have that are around the idea of particularly at that tragic time of losing a loved one, a desperate desire that something about humanity carries on. There is something outside of just the here and now. There is something beyond the just human existence. And if it is wiped out in a moment as quickly it would seem as it began, isn't it incredibly dissatisfying? That all that we seem to know about ourselves, that we are more than just uh, skin and bone and molecules, that there is a spiritual dimension, that that is just wiped out as well. We seem to desire something more. And that's on the good side. On the negative side, and the other reason why I think it is astoundingly dissatisfying to think that the world might just as accidentally end as we think it began, is that we have written into us a desperate desire for justice, don't we? The idea that things can be done, that people can do things, that uh, injustice can be carried out in this world, and people seemingly just get away with it, we find incredibly uncomfortable. We don't like the idea. And yet that is exactly what we are faced with if the world is just going to end. 
We have a desperate sense of justice, a desperate desire for justice. But if this is all it is, and it happens, and it lives for a while, and then it dies, all of that goes without being addressed. So just as a starter, I would say it's interesting, therefore, that right the way through history, we have always been thinking it can't carry on. There has to be an end in some way. Secondly, I think the idea that it's just going to fizzle out or come to a crunch end by natural uh, results is dissatisfying from a deep-down human perspective. So I want to say, well, how does the Bible answer that? What does the Bible say in response? And that's what I want to share with you this afternoon. What does the Bible say as a response to that, and why does it say it? And uh, why might we feel that it's worthwhile listening to? I want to cover it in three headings. Firstly, what does the Bible say? Secondly, how does the Bible seek to convince us? And thirdly, why do we need it and why can't we bear it? So there's the three. Firstly, what does the Bible say? The first thing that the Bible says is that the creator who purposely created this world as we see it is also the creator who will purposely end this world as we see it you might say well so what I think the so what is that the bible says that God is still intimately interested and involved and concerned with this world There are many who might feel as though when we look around at what's going on, it seems as though God doesn't care. It seems as though he's like some sort of cosmic clockmaker, set the world going, wound it up, thrown it off into into the universe and just disappeared. But the perspective that the Bible brings is no. The one who created it is also the one who ends it. Why might we say that? Well, Jesus said it. He said that there was going to come a time, a day and an hour that no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Therefore you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says there is going to come a point where it's going to be, if you like, life as normal. People are going to be going on with their daily business It actually says there that even Jesus doesn't know when that day is. So all of these uh, wacky interpretations of calendars and all of these wacky interpretations of what's going on in the world that says that therefore Jesus is going to come back on such and such a day. Well, I would quite honestly say that is just ridiculous. If Jesus doesn't know... It's a brave, or rather an idiotic person, I would say, who claims to know. So here we have Jesus saying, you need to understand that life is going to be going on just the way you would imagine, as normal. People are going to be getting married, people are going to be giving their 
daughters away to be married. People are going to be trading. And then all of a sudden, that's it. It is going to, in a moment of time, end because Jesus returns to this world. And at that point, we are absolutely convinced, aren't we, that if he is going to come back, he's bothered about what's going on. So that's the first thing I would say. The Bible says that the creator who made it is also the creator who is going to end it. And what's going to happen then? What is this end all about? Well, the Bible says, do you know what? You're right to many of the other religions. You are right to think that there is a connection between right and wrong, between good and evil, between morals and ethics, and the end of the world. They are not separate. In fact, the Bible says that, it is a, yes, it is appointed for man to die once and then, What? Judgment. That's what the Bible says. There is a point at which the end, whether it is the end by us leaving this life by dying, or whether it is the end by Jesus returning, is the point where judgment takes place. That's where the Bible describes it. Jesus becomes judge. Jesus said, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account For every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be judged. And by your words you will be condemned. That's what Jesus said. There is a purpose to it. You know when we said a little bit earlier. That one of the problems with the the world just kind of fizzling out. Just sort of ending. And and that's the end of it. and, And all of the wrong that has been done in the world is never dealt with. Jesus says, that is not the case. That is not the case. We, I, I think we need to live in a world where wrong is going to be addressed. Uh, look at some of the things that have happened even in these past weeks. It seems to me as though there are certain individuals in the world uh, who are doing things to other people and it seems as though they are going to get away from scot-free. It's just they they can do it, they can live a great life and then at the end of it, you know, life ends like for everybody else and they do not have to give an account. One of the things that the Bible says is, that is not what it's about. That to me, at one level, is great news. Judgment is a good thing. We need it. I want you to imagine how awful it would be if our, court, if our legal system, if our court system allowed people to face charges and then say, do you know what, I know that you did it, but it's okay. It doesn't matter. Uh, even though you've been proven guilty, you just carry on and live, in, live your life because we are just kind people. That would be intolerable if there was no final accountability. And the Bible says, yes, the creator who begins it is also the creator who ends it. And the creator who ends it is the one who brings final judgment. That's great news at one level. Thirdly, the Christian faith says, and at the end, 
It is not some kind of a transfer. It is not an abandonment of this physical world. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says this. In a, uh, we're not, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Talking about the same day when Jesus returns. In a moment... In the twinkling of an eye, you know, in a, in a blink of an eye, that means. Just a wink. In the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. That means that there is going to come a time when what we are to be, physical human beings, is going to be fixed. That's so different to what many other religions might say. Other religions would say the final ultimate objective is to reach some sort of spiritual nirvana where we get rid of our bodies and we end up spiritual beings. And God says, do you know what? I created this physical world. I love this physical world. I've made it like this. And the end objective is to fix it again. We will be raised again, physically. So, there isn't, if you like, a separation in the way the Bible describes the end, where we split off spiritual and physical, and the physical is kind of secondary or inferior. They go together. Final resolution is where spiritual beings and immortal physical beings are reconciled again forever. So it is not some float on a cloud and play a harp kind of thing. That's great news because quite honestly I don't want to float on a cloud and play a harp. I, I want to be a real person. I just want to be a real person who isn't destroyed by physical ailments and the sin that is inside of me. I want to be real. And the Bible says that is exactly how it's going to be. So there's what the Bible says. So you say, well, okay, fair enough. Question two. How does the Bible seek to convince us of that? How does the Bible say, this is what I'm saying... And here is why you should believe it. There's something in our legal system which is called the crown evidence. Crown evidence is in the case of the crown uh, prosecuting an individual or an organisation or whatever it might be. Crown evidence is the evidence which is gathered by, by the state, by uh, the country to charge an individual. Uh, and the evidence proves strong enough or too weak. Here's the question. What is the crown evidence from heaven? What is the evidence that heaven is going to bring at this point for us to either say that just sits with all of the other ideas or, and philosophies or it is uniquely different and therefore needs to be either considered more or embraced? What is the evidence? Well, Paul makes it really clear. He says you need to understand that the claims of the Bible do not sit alongside every other philosophy or every other religion. 
You see, every other religion and every other philosophy says, we sit here at this point in time and we're going to suggest to you that that's how it's going to be out there in the future sometime. We'll be here, that's how it's going to be out there. And there's nothing in between. There's nothing to persuade and there's nothing to say that is right. And Paul says that is not what the Christian faith is about. Because one of the things that God has purposely done in the history of this world is he has said, this is, we are here, yes, that is how it's going to be, but I have given you a huge signpost. I have given you evidence that you can believe that because of this. And he says it like this. God has ignored in the past, because of our ignorance, he has ignored our sinful behaviour. But now, he commands us all to turn around, to repent, and to follow Jesus. And he calls us all to follow him because he has fixed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness. So here we go. He's saying, look, that's how it's going to be out there. Everything that we've just said. There is going to come a day when God will judge the world. All right? God will judge the world. How can we believe that God will judge the world? What evidence has he given? What is the crown evidence of heaven that he's going to do it? He says this. He will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance. Or if you like, evidence. He has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Jesus. That is the foundational claim of the Bible. It is God saying, you need to understand, and I am being really upfront with you, there is going to come a day when I, as the creator of the world, because I made it, I will end it. And, and I know that you, you have written down deep into you uh, an understanding that the world will end in some way. I'm telling you it will end by me purposely intervening again. And at that point where I purposely intervene again, I will also judge. And I know that you need judgment and reconciliation, and I will bring that. But I'm not just saying it, I'm giving you evidence of it. And the evidence that I give is that this man Jesus, this historical figure, Jesus of Nazareth, died physically, was buried physically, and rose again physically. Now that is such an outrageous claim. It is either ridiculous, embarrassing, outrageous, or true. One of the things, and I say it so many times, one of the things that we can so easily fall into in our kind of 21st century um, arrogance is that we can disregard the ancients and think that they were intellectually inferior or stupid or gullible. 
I don't believe that humanity has been any more gullible in the past about somebody coming back to life as we, than we are today. I don't think they're any weaker, any more inferior, any more gullible than we are today. Not real people. Not real people who are so scared about the fact that their lives might be taken because they've been following Jesus that they hide away. And then they see him and they are so convinced that they have actually seen him that they are prepared to become eyewitnesses even though it's going to cost them their lives. That for me is basic evidence. Evidence that stands up in court. Eyewitnesses. People seeing things and being persuaded. That is what the Bible claims. There were eyewitnesses who saw Jesus live again. There were eyewitnesses actually on one day 500 people in one place who saw him alive. In fact, the writer says, and um, most of those are still alive. In other words, go and speak to them. Go and check it out. <laughs> uh, we're not making up a fable here, and we're not trying to hide anything. Most of them were still alive, therefore go and speak to them. The eyewitness account of the resurrection of Jesus is the fundamental basis of the whole of the Christian faith. It stands or falls by that. But, if it really happened, then doesn't it have massive implications? Doesn't it say, yes, actually people do get raised again? Doesn't it say that actually God has intervened in this world? So he's not just saying this is how it is and look out there. He's saying this is how it is, look out there and I'll give you the evidence now by intervening in this world in a remarkable way. That is the claim of the Bible. So we've said, what does the Bible say? We've said, how does the Bible's plot line look to convince us of that truth? Finally, I want to ask the question... Why do we need it and why can't we bear it? In a sense, I'm going to come back around to some of the things that we said a little earlier. We said a little earlier that we absolutely need, we desperately need judgment. We need things that have been done, terrible things to, that have been done in this world to be resolved. We need to know that people will effectively get their comeuppance. <laughs> you know, the problem is, some of the words of Jesus, he said this. He said, judgment is going to be based on careless words. Things that are said. Why did Jesus say careless words? Things that are said. Why didn't he say it's going to be based on mass murder? Why didn't he say it's going to be based on paedophilia? He actually said, judgment is going to be based on careless words. I would say things that every one of us face the reality that in judgment we are therefore guilty. Because the careless words are the first expose of what's going on inside, aren't they? Careless words are, if you like, the picture of what we're really thinking. And Jesus says, even if you think with hatred in your heart, you are effectively a murderer. That seems so profoundly 
just draconian, doesn't it? It just seems even that we cannot bear it because we are all guilty. But there is something which the Bible describes, which it's like a picture. What is the end like? It's Jesus appearing, and we have pictures in the Bible which describe it. And it's, it's kind of like, it is a picture, it's a symbolic picture. What is Jesus like in the symbol, symbolic pictures in the Bible? It says he's like a lamb, slain, killed, but standing. He is a sacrifice who is living. What does that mean? And why do we say it? Why does the Bible say that? Quite simply because it says this. Yes, we need judgment. We need reconciliation for all of the wrong. And then we face the dilemma that every single one of us fall into the, the category of guilty. And then we realise that the plot line of the Bible played out throughout history is simply this. Jesus is the one who is killed so that those who are guilty might have payment made by him and yet go free at the end. That is the picture of the Bible. That's the plot line. That's why the end makes sense. Judgment? Oh yes. The cross? 2,000 years ago? Yes. It's as evident at the end as it is at the beginning because Jesus carries the effectiveness of the cross into eternity. He carries the, the power and the effectiveness of the cross there so that we might say, through him we are forgiven. So, what does the Bible say? It says that the creator is going to end it. It says that it is going to be ended on the basis of moral and ethical issues because judgment is there. And it also says that there is a physical uh, purpose into the future. The Bible says, I want to convince you of this because I've given you evidence 2,000 years ago because somebody did rise from the dead, Jesus. And finally it says, you know what, you can't bear it. But I can. I can one of the things that that does when we realise that is it opens a doorway to relationship with God where we say, I need you. I need you to bear that. But it's not just a desperate, um, please do that so that I get saved. It's an, if you do that, I'm going to be in relationship with you forever. That's going to be great. It's going to be amazing. 